0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, so many great guests in 2024 already. I know. We've got a big dog here. We've got a big guest. I don't know
1: if he's going to appreciate you calling him <laughs> a dog. But, anyways, I am very pleased to introduce our guest today, Chano Fernandez, who is co CEO of the company Eightfold. Chano, welcome so much to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, Serge, I have a big dog at home. So, that's oh, a- do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What
0: type of dog I need he's a, to know a
2: Labrador. It's a lab, but it's, um, yeah, it's heavy. It's around, what, 25 kilos, 55, 60 pounds, whatever. So it's a big one. Yeah. That's okay. a big Labrador. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: Chano, can you just share with the audience a little bit about who is Chano and maybe give us a glimpse into your journey in HR tech?
2: Yeah. Thank you, Shelly, for the question. I'll make it brief. As you can tell from my accent, clearly not native in English speaker. Born in Spain, lived most of my life across Europe. Started my career in consulting and then is always being enterprise B2B software since very early days, right after McKinsey. And it started mostly in HR tech Clearly, uh, already at SAP, 10 years at Workday, and now continuing at Eightfold. So I've been trying to learn more about HR practitioners. Obviously, the software is a part of it, but I'm much more interested on how we can help uh, HR leaders and CHROs and HR departments to do a better job for their employees and their workforces.
1: That is a big decision and a big move. To go from a world-renowned company like Workday, you say Workday, and everyone in our industry knows exactly who they are. So I am going to put you on the spot here and ask you, why would you move away from Workday and why would you choose Eightfold? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of HR tech vendors out there. I'm sure you had your pick. Talk to us a bit about that, your decision.
2: Yeah. Let me answer first the decision, right? I think Workday gave me an opportunity to help transform HR in the cloud. And simply speaking, I believe and I'm convinced AFOL is very well positioned to provide an opportunity to transform HR in AI, right? And we can talk a little bit about that one.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You said Workday and everybody will know who that company is and tell you that in 2014, I was managing a large business as SAP, and I moved to Workday. It was a very small business in Europe, and it was around 400 million total revenue ARR in 2014. And I was calling customers. And of course, maybe it was part of my English, but work what? And what do you guys do so mm-hmm. clearly it's been a fascinating growth story. And of course, today will be well-renowned, known company, mm-hmm. but that was not the case back then. So I guess I can see similarities on um, Eightfold a few years down the road, but we have a, a hell of a lot of work ahead of us mm-hmm. to get there.
1: Okay. So when you look around the landscape, tell us what was it? What yeah. are the similarities that you see in Eightfold? And the well, more than the
2: similarities, Shelly, I would say try to be thoughtful when you make career decisions, right? Mm-hmm. I'm privileged that there are opportunities out there, definitely. And I very openly share that first, you need to be aligned with the purpose of the company and certainly align with what AFOL is trying to achieve, which is help everyone to create the right career for them in the world. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you need to share a common value system, and that's tremendously important to me, of course. Then I would say potentially this is in particular order of prioritization. Is there a great technology platform? Is there a solution disruptiveness here that is solving real business problems and use cases that I can understand? And of course, a is providing that opportunity for me in AI. Do you think that you can attract great talent and great people on the bus, that you can set a great North Star ambition and execute upon that one. And have some fun along the way. I like to build. As they say, AFOL is a bit smaller today, it was Workday in 2014 when I joined. But I gave you a little bit the analogy that I like the building part and potentially the fast growth acceleration processes and learnings that grow through those experiences. You know, before joining Eightfold, I did my homework because anyone can make a wrong decision, but I will not forgive myself for not doing the right due diligence. So clearly, Mm -hmm. I review a lot on the technology and I talk to customers and to partners and to industry analysts. And I thought this seems like a, a fun opportunity to work on.
1: Okay. I love the uh, comparison of Workday in Europe in 2014 and Eightfold in 2024, Mm -hmm. because Serge and I were passionate about technology and HR tech. And so we're probably a lot more familiar with Eightfold than maybe a lot of our audience. Can you give us that elevator pitch? What is Eightfold?
2: Yeah, I will. And listen, Eightfold today is potentially three times larger without disclosing much more than it was worth day in Europe okay. in 2014, right? So okay. it's certainly much okay. larger than that part. Of course, mm-hmm. full as a whole, right? So full is an enterprise talent intelligent management platform. At the end of the day, in order to fulfill our purpose to provide the right career for everyone in the world, I think at the core, it does a great job in terms of creating a good match between job opportunities and skills, right? And doing so in a very automatized process. But of course, you know, it does a well talent management and internal mobility and succession management and a lot on talent acquisition. So clearly most of the elements, and that's why I say a platform that you need to manage your talent, they are there. And clearly we're working on that fulfillment of that vision.
0: So Chano, I want to jump into co-CEO. Like Myself and Shelly have tried to do this at the podcast and it failed miserably because Shelly wouldn't agree to everything I said and then we had to figure out a different solution. So you've been co-CEO at Workday and now you're co-CEO at Eightfold. How does that
2: work? Who makes that final decision? Give us the
1: 51. Yeah. Yeah, who has I the guess there, I guess
2: there are ways to look at this, right? The first thing is maybe I'm not good enough or mature enough to be just a sole CEO. That's okay. We all need to improve. <laughs> I need to learn. I need to grow. So I guess there is a part of that one. Honestly, and we can talk about the one at Workday, right? But this one was more by design, was my initial proposal when I started to talk to Ashu, right? And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. CEO is a very lonely job and, and there are not many people sometimes that you can't talk about a lot of things that are involving either strategy, but also people, decisions in the business. So you have someone to partner with. When you can do it with someone that you can build some good trust, hopefully friendship, but there is complementary of skills in terms of where your passions and your experiences are, there is a good divide and conquer. Yeah. And there is a great opportunity for a company, right? Is it easy to make it work? No, but I would say we're focused, both of us, on doing the right things for the company. And what matters to the business, we can have some really great discussions and hopefully make the company better. Location-wise as well, that in Europe, Ash is here, so it's another great divide and conquer. Yeah. Because the challenge for many of these, I wouldn't include AFOL there, I wouldn't include Workday there, is becoming truly global companies. I want to say this is many of the born US Silicon Valley companies, right? So that also helps.
0: Thank you. I was always curious if you guys like vacation together, had like your families come over on a Sunday. But I guess you're living in different
2: countries. So that would be a little <laughs> bit harder. <laughs> I think we become friends as well. But I, I guess we have enough from each other that we may need some breathing space between families on vacation as well. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so let's jump into.
0: AI in the talent acquisition space. Obviously, it's an extremely hot topic. You've been in this space for a long time. Would like to get your perspective. How is AI transforming our process and the way we
2: work here in HR? I would say it's the simplest way to look at it, Search, and this is not going to surprise anyone. I hope it starts with automation and productivity increases, right? So you can think about how big parts of the recruiter's tax, for example, can be automatized Mm -hmm. so they can focus on some other high-value-added activities or applying judgment on some final decision-making where clearly machines will be lacking some elements there. You can see on areas like the matching between job and opportunities, and and I would say false solutions will be at least providing a 90% accuracy today. On standard matching of skills, if you compare the most smartest and experienced recruiters we do on a human perspective, you can think about scheduling of interviews or sourcing candidates. There are many processes and areas that as a simple way to look at it, it provides productivity increases and automation, right? Eightfold has been
0: doing it for a long time, right? And if you think about AI in the mainstream, it's really only become popular, I would say, in the last year with ChatGPT, generative AI. Do you find there's more awareness now of AI tools like Eightfold? Is it an easier conversation than it was two to three years ago?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, the first thing you mentioned something very important, right? I would argue and one of the reasons why I picked Eightfold and what I said, hopefully will provide me another opportunity to transform HR in AI, is I believe that you need to have the right technology platform in order to be able to do it. And of course, Eightfold was born in AI, right? It was born seven years ago. The way it was designed, the way it was thought out, you know, other companies were potentially born in the cloud, other companies were born earlier on right? No. So aspirationally, you can think that you can do many things, but architecturally and technology speaking, if you don't have the right architecture, there are some business problems that you might not, or use cases you might just know might be able to fulfill. There is a limit on how much can you bend a technology architecture to do something that has not been thought out of design for since day one. Clearly after CHAP GPT, there is an immense interest in terms of How can we be jumping in the AI cases and what it should be doing for my business or our business? And this is potentially one of those first technologies where now you also have a responsibility. When I say to have some sort of understanding on from an ethical perspective, yeah, you will not be the experts on what the algorithms are producing, but you need to ensure that there is a responsibility and accountability for you keeping those algorithms as clean as possible, as non biased as possible as ethical as possible.
0: That's a perfect segue to where I wanted to go. Recently read the book, The Algorithm, when she did a deep dive on companies in this space and how they're leveraging AI. But what I found really interesting and really kind of shocked me, even though I'm in this industry and I spend a lot of time researching, how much snake oil there is out there, right? And we're going to see a lot of it. If you go to HR Tech or any of these shows, everyone just stamped, AI on their product it looks like they printed it off the day before and they made oh, sure yeah. they had AI on the boot <laughs> yeah. So but if we put that in perspective and reading that book, I it made me a little bit nervous that a lot of these technologies there is no checks and balance to make sure that these results have been accepted, that they're real. What does Eightfold do different than a lot of these companies that are launching AI products to make sure, that it is mitigating bias, and it's actually giving
2: results that we can validate as well. What a great question. We do have a lot of check and balances, but let me give you some examples, right? First of all, I would say I'm a true believer that we humans are biased by default, Mm -hmm. right? Most of us have some sort of bias. I'm a true believer that AI or technology used for good can help us to solve part of that problem. Of course, we're very proud. And that is something that, again, before joining EFL, I did a lot of due diligence on in terms of how we're looking at it from a trust and atheist base, right? First of all, what everybody would say, oh, we comply with all laws and regulations that are out there. Yes. And no, right? So I would say, for example, we're one of the few companies that are complying with the newest regulation for New York City law. Okay. They are hiring. Yeah. And there are maybe only a couple that are compliant so far, which are more stringent, right? I would tell you that we are third party audited. And not many companies would be third party audited. They would say we have our internal check and balances. For example, we are not gonna be delivering a new model if we are not certain that the previous model is completely working. But then of course, through some of these laws or regulations and even working with our customers, basically need to prove things like what we call or is called perturbation testing. So let me give you an example. At the end of the day, some of the main bias categories, which are usually gender, race, nationality, Age. disability or not disability. If you have an education degree or you don't have an education degree, what we go through is I give the machine, let's say a number of resumes and then I go with the machine and we do this with our customers and we do this on our own tests. And now I'm not Chano any longer. Now I'm called Maria. Now I am from Venezuela. And now I have a disability. And we do those changes, right? And we're exposed to those changes from this regulation. And if the machine was doing or the engine was telling me that I was good for this job and doing a match between my skills and this job opportunity, now that I'm not any longer Chano and Maria and I'm from Venezuela. And, and I don't have an education degree, it's still that job matching needs to be a one-to-one. And yep. if it is not a one-to-one matching, again, with kind of these hidden masks, then the model does not work. And then we need to find where the problem is or what the challenge is. Some of our largest customers in regulated industries, we need to prove this. Yeah. Some of these regulations, we need to prove this. And again, it's a one-to-one ratio. We're not looking for anything less than that on some of these big categories. Which gives me confidence that in terms of creating the potential non-biased right job candidacy pool mm-hmm. is a less non-biased one that recruiter as a person would produce to start with. So that's just an example, right? There are other things that have been done, but that's a true real example of how it works. I appreciate that. We're starting to figure out that the due
0: diligence and the liability is going to fall a lot on the end employer and not on the vendors. And I'm sure that's going to be different in every country. So if I am a practitioner or talent acquisition leader, I want to bring an AI solution to my company, Eightfold as an example what due diligence should i do to make sure that i'm alleviating risk for the organization in getting one of these tools in place
2: yeah what a great question right i would say first of all is you know a higher level criteria in terms of who the vendor you would consider and then i'll answer your question in terms of the most tactical but still very important point yeah. of alleviating some of the risks and some of this concern right at a higher level search, I would say that, of course, you're looking for vendors that have a right vision from a technology perspective for you, that they can bring the right innovation, that they can have a completeness of a platform, that they are referenceable, meaning that there are customers that are happy with and seeing value on adoption and some of the use cases that are there. At a lower level, in terms of you know how happy and do with this, again, you may ask them for their certifications under all this. If they're done from a third party, you do your own test. But with some of the customers, we've even done this exercise before in terms of your candidate pool, You know what was the outcome in terms of the matching profiles and bias or no bias with the examples that I told you before? And what would it be with the likes of an a right? And is our correlation better to eliminate bias than all the data you have before in terms of what was produced from pure human beings? Are we producing any better results than in average we are because the engine is producing better one than you, or are we not, right? So again, there is a more strategic aspect, and then there is, yeah, you need certainly to comply with security, with privacy, with ethical way of approaching to it. But then you need to be continuously auditing or testing as you are going forward, right? And then be very thorough that if there is any challenge on any model, not to put any other model in production. Because when we move more towards the generative AI world, where the challenge starts is we may understand one algorithm in one model and another algorithm in another model. But once we start connecting algorithms and models and generative AI starts working is where we might be a little bit more lost on what is exactly producing these outputs. You have a bigger problem to solve. Make sure that the integral part of smaller problems are all ethical right foundations. Because once they start interacting with each other, wow, you know?
0: Yeah, I think the key point you said there, the one that I'm taking away and that we don't do, and I've been guilty of this, is I implement something and then never look back of, is it actually producing what it's supposed to do? I just go on autopilot and I just let it run. And this is something, especially with AI, that any practitioner is listening, they should be auditing and taking a look Every three, six, nine, 12 months. It's
2: not a set-in, forget-it type of solution. I think regulation is going to potentially go in as well in that direction, and it's going to force you to do it. so. But I can tell you that at least our largest customers in regulated industries, financial services, life sciences, and so on and so forth, they're forcing us to go back and prove that it's happening exactly as expected once or twice a year.
0: I just have a quick question because we talked about choosing a provider, what due diligence that you need to do. And this is fun for a lot of us, right? Like getting a new tool is just like, a new toy. <laughs> but what's not as much fun is implementing a new <laughs> tool. I, I don't even want to talk about implementing Workday. That is, it's a project, right? Implementing Eightfold is obviously probably not as deep what advice would you have for a practitioner? They've decided on Eightfold.
2: What should they look at first before they start implementing? I would say it's as simple as, am I ready? And what is my readiness, right? There will be customers that potentially from a process perspective, and I can tell you because I've seen this, they're not ready in terms of having acquisition or talent processes on they would like to be. In order of readiness, they might not be clear in terms of the use cases they are trying to address. Right? There might not be clear in terms of the KPIs, and visibility, and insights they want to have on the dashboarding and reporting. And hence, how should I be implementing and configuring the solution? Right? So it's part of that readiness. Then I don't think it goes that much. Is yeah, I would be potentially initiating implementation as you say. They're implementing a core HRIS, but of course, technology may work. But we've always been saying, yeah, readiness, and then you need to prepare for change management and you need to prepare for governance on the processes and how you're gonna be making decisions through so this implementation and how you're gonna be making enablement and training. And how you're gonna be thinking that you're gonna be adopting innovation because we produce a lot of innovation. Before customers were always asking, Are you gonna be innovative enough? Now, especially with larger customers, part of the challenge is how do we expose innovation to them? How did they understand the one that brings value to them? And how are they going to be adopting that one? And even once it's being implemented, how are you going to be living with the solution afterwards? How are you going to be yeah. you know, doing it internally? It's going to be a partner supporting you? Because as we know, since the SaaS solutions, they are live and they're continuously yeah. bringing new options for you to take on in terms of additional value. Some might be relevant to you. Some might not be that relevant to you in terms of the business problems they're solving for.
1: I want to come back to what I've been talking a lot about this year as well, is the trends in 2024 around talent intelligence. It's being discussed in many HR circles, because once you have that intelligence, you now know where the holes are in your workforce. That is maybe one of the objectives in terms of why you would go down this path for what is the KPI or the outcome, because being able to identify where you need to upskill, reskill, or in extreme cases, rip and replace, companies need to know that information. You know, you talk about regulated industries, where the banking industry is going, if you want to stay competitive, you'd better have a skilled workforce. That's certainly a conversation we heard a lot about. Yeah. What advice for leaders would you have in terms of once you have this information, what is it they need to be ready to do with it?
2: Yeah, what a great question. First of all, going really into this direction of skills, which we're talking about. First of all, I believe that talent is everywhere, opportunity is not right, and sometimes with people with certain degrees or not. So I think it's going to provide much more opportunity, hopefully, for underserved backgrounds or underrepresented minorities. Mm -hmm. which I'm pretty excited about. Secondly, I was just talking to a customer this morning that was telling me we went through a RIF process last year. And usually through the RIF process, we were able to reallocate 10% of the workforces because it was not being our first one, right? It is a Fortune 100 company. And with AFOL, on our last RIF process, we've been able to reallocate 35% of our people instead of 10%. And that's been because of our ability of understanding some of the skills that we had, and that could be applied to other opportunities within the companies. Which, as you can imagine, is very enlightening for me to hear, because somehow you feel like you contributed from 10 to 35% on a big Mm rift, that it was like 3,000 employees. There are quite a number of families there that hopefully we did a little bit of our part to help them out to have an opportunity within that company that was their will. But clearly, going through this process in terms of my skills today and the to-be skills, because what companies are trying to identify, first is the taxonomy and where do I have my inventory today. Mm-hmm. But where we are going is more like, if tomorrow my strategic kind of initiative is this, and I understand that these are the skills that I'm going to be needing tomorrow and i know half having, mm-hmm. A, how am I going to be acquiring them? And B, what is the cost of not acquiring them? Which mm-hmm. ultimately is giving leader kind of a prioritization as well, on where they should be focusing on acquire which skills from where, right? And some will be developed internally, or what is the cost of not doing that? And that is where we're talking with companies on internal mobility. That's where we're, companies are trying to create interim projects or gigs where people can get some certain skills that they may need to develop a job, right? That is what we see going in the companies today, but it's clearly 80 stages. I would say there is a lot of try to figure out right now on companies on how they will work since we've been talking for a few years now in skills and implementing it. And there is the trials, which is good trials in terms of if I'm providing these temporary work projects to get more skills, is I'm more internal mobility, what does it mean for my workforce development as a whole? And is that closing the gap towards the skills that I think we're going to be needing and for which initiatives and the ones that I do have today, right? It's a bit early stages, but those are the discussions that they're being have. Of course, needless to say, part of the skills are through training and educations and where are the right. solutions like ours offering mentoring and the learnings you should be having. If your ambitions and aspirations are to get to a point B on your career development, And you're on a point A on your career development, right? How you map out that journey. How you get there.
1: Yeah. I think that's the ultimate goal.
2: That's the ultimate goal. For
1: talent management. And it has been for several years that talent management, we're now calling it talent intelligence. I think it's that next level. Because the bigger the company, the more difficult it is. Mm. And is it easier to lay people off versus reallocate them? Yes. Reallocating them has so much to say about your commitment to community. It's better for brand. Absolutely. That is aspirational.
2: Much better. For but also here, as a company, Shelley, right, there are people that are great cultural fit, that they don't know already about your company, and mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to reallocate because they fit on those skills. That's also a great win for the company, right? And mm-hmm. that person is going to be obviously ready to hit the ground running faster than yes. potentially an external one would be. Yes.
1: Over to you, Serge, for the final question.
0: Well, extremely interesting conversation, Shano. I I love the perspective that you bring. You've been in this industry for a fairly long time. Things that we don't see being the co-CEO of a large enterprise in this industry. Take out your crystal ball. What can you predict for 2024 that is going to be a big disruptor
2: in this space? I think it's an easy one, potentially. We're already in 2024, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess being in this industry for long, is unfortunate. I'm a bit old, older than I would like to be, but okay. <laughs> so we're all there. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say it's clearly generative AI, right? We've talked a little bit about yeah. AI. Of course, ChatGPT gpt is generative AI, and I think uh, everyone has been trying and is familiarized with that one. So if you look, for example, in the Eighthfold case, and we'll talk about copilot because everybody's understanding as well what a copilot is. But if you think about going beyond AI and going where you have the generative AI capabilities of a chat GPT, but then you merge that one with your internal knowledge database, like you as an employee get an understanding, okay, if I'm gonna be asking for a leave, what is the policy in this company? And not only telling me the policy, but asking and requesting on an automatized way. Or okay, if I'm doing this job, what should be my potential options for the future? And you merge the public information coming from generative AI to the internal information on based on Hmm. experiences and promotions in the past that's taking place in the company, giving you good advice on what you should be doing and enriching that one. That is really powerful. So you think about these copilots are the new way of browsing, you would say the new way of interacting. Going forward. And of course, they will be typing, but on a conversational way, typing on all these tools. But that's the way we're interacting. And then again, the machines, the enrichment of your internal kind of public information to ChatGPT with all the information you have your internal sources, your internal policies and procedures, your internal yeah. compliance, enriching that one. Or, okay, what does that mean exactly from something that is a bit more generic that it could be a provided a GPT answer on generative AI? To really what it means in a company like A4 with that generative AI in terms of how this particular process can be done or what you should be expecting or even applying or moving forward with it. Right. So that's what I think is going to be the inception or we're going to be starting and seeing many of our customers using. And it is really exciting again from the productivity increases that it's going to derive. Right?
0: So to recap, the robots are
2: taking over, and that's your prediction The robots are really helping us to do a lot of automation and a lot of manual tasks, and Mm -hmm. they're helping us to do our job better. There is no substitute for consciousness. I don't think there is a substitute for great human judgment today. I don't know in 20 years from now, I don't think it's in five or 10 years from now. For that social interaction, for that care, we do have as a human for understanding some other aspects that are more human-based and human tact today, I don't think that there is a substitute for that. I'm honestly, I'm I'm not the best predictor, but I don't think it's in the next five to 10 years, I don't know, in 30 years from now.
0: I guess we will see. Our kids will be deep in the workforce by then. Their world is going to be different than ours. So, Shano, this was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having us.
2: This is a great
0: podcast. It's amazing being with Shelly and you here, Serge.
1: Thank you, Really great
0: host. Really appreciate it. Shano, before we leave, though, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way? And if anyone wants to get a demo reach out to eightfold what is the best way as well
2: I guess it's just sending me an email that's the best way right um channel at eightfold.ai so that's pretty easy perfect and eightfold.ai AI, is yeah. the domain. we always had the AI there since 2016 right yeah, yeah because right now as you said before I see companies that you know that are going through that transitioning of the name right but it was always there it was always there Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making the time.
1: Thank you, Chano. Au revoir.
0: Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant.
1: Mm, This is where our friends at RecText come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.